Welcome to Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories. I'm your host, Allison Pricinger Higgins. Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories is a podcast exploring society, culture, and current events through conversation. We aspire to create an open, respectful, and equitable space where guests may feel free to share their truth and lived experiences. Our core values are rooted in community, connection, and personal development. Stories help us learn, relate, and grow. We are here to listen, to take notice. Thank you for being with us. I would like to acknowledge the land on which this episode was created. I would like to show gratitude to the traditional ancestral land of the Showwater Bay and Chinook tribes, recognizing that these names are not the original names of the people of these areas. Land acknowledgement statements are an important part of honoring those whose land we now live and work on. We begin each episode this way to help spark ideas and keep these conversations in the front of our minds so that we may continue to be open to doing better. I encourage listeners to research the land on which you live and are listening right now. Recognizing this is just the beginning. And some additional next steps to consider, seek out the stories of Native people from our shared history and today. Maybe spend some time asking yourself difficult questions and challenging norms that may be linked to colonialism. Engage in your community around topics like land tax, curriculum, hiring practices, decision-making, organizing, and reparations. Seek out media created by Native people. The more you explore, challenge, and learn, the more questions may arise, but this is how we grow and connect. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Take Notice, Amplifying Black Stories. To begin this episode, I wanted to briefly discuss the slight shift in format for Season 2. If you are a listener for our first season, you will know that I asked of all the guests two questions at the end of each episode. I would ask, what would make you feel seen as equal, which is a question that kind of evolved throughout the season. And I would also ask, what brings joy or fun into your life? Now, this season, we're sticking with one question, which is, who was a big influence in your life? Who or what was a large influence in your life? The reason for this is one, a smaller reason is to to kind of create a little bit of difference in the next season, right? So there's that. But also kind of figuring out a balance of moving forward with trying to demonstrate treating everyone as human, as equals, with a sense of normalcy that we all go through the same struggles and joys in life, while also acknowledging that there is so much work yet to be done in our society and our in our world in order for us to each enjoy the same freedoms and safety. And balancing those two things as one in this podcast. As an example, so there's this uh, there's this show called Shit's Creek. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. You can Google it. But something that stuck out, I was watching the documentary about the making of because it's all done now. And they did this kind of highlight of the show. And it's a pretty funny and just kind of heartwarming show. And there are characters in it that who are gay, and they focus on just their everyday lives, instead of focusing on making it a a show about the struggles that they may go through, or their run-ins with uh, discrimination, or people who are unaccepting. And while those things still happen in the world, and they're important to recognize the idea of having something that folks who are living similar lives or who are also gay, you know, can watch and kind of just get absorbed in just their their everyday story. Now, these folks are not everyday characters, but but the that that idea was something that stuck out to me from that documentary as I as we were sorting out how to approach how to continue to approach this podcast and and our guests and part of it is, you know, not wanting to put the pressure on any guests to talk about anything that they would prefer to not talk about. And if they want to just be able to not sink into that, that world of, you know, racism or, you know, the struggles that they have to go through um, because of their culture or because of how they look, but just being able to talk about whatever they want to talk about, the fun things that they did in their lives or building their careers or school or whatever it might be. So, like I said, trying to balance moving forward with treating everyone as human 
as equals and with a sense of normalcy that we, you know, we all share similar struggles. We can all, you know, I think in our first episode, Val was talking about as kids being able to kind of share with other kids of different backgrounds, you know, like this, the same complaints basically as uh, about the grownups in their lives as, as each other. So, so there's that, but also being a part of acknowledging that there is a lot of work to be done and, and how do we create that information and provide that information, be a part of the solution and all that as well. So we're balancing that. And in our newsletter that you may see come out today, you will find that we, we started a new section in that newsletter, which is something to consider. So if you're interested in getting some tidbits of, you know, here's a video to check out, here's a book that we recommend, or book that a listener recommended, or um, an article to read, or here's what's going on in the in the news, we're going to be putting some things in our biweekly newsletter that goes out to have a touch base um, and maybe a way that we can connect with you all to continue the discussion. So if you are not already on our mailing list, definitely sign up if you're interested. Uh, You can sign up on our website, which is takenoticepodcast.org. And of course, in that same vein, let me know your thoughts and we'll keep this discussion moving forward. So if you have thoughts on what I just said, what I just shared, you can find us, like I said, through our website, you can find us through social media, or you can find our email on our website as well. So get in touch, let me know your thoughts, and we'll just continue the conversation. In this episode, I speak with Pacific Northwest native Marion Harrison. She was born in Everett, Washington in 1931. She is a mother of seven and a grandmother of 11. Marion was an employee of the Arlington School District for 22 years. She was a member of Public School Employees of Washington. She's the current chair of the 38th Legislative District Democrats, formerly the chair of the 10th District Democrats, and has worked around 30 campaigns. She serves on many boards and commissions in Snohomish County, which include the Foster Care Citizens Review Board and the Children's Commission. Marion and I met up in person, which, aside from my husband, was the first time I got to meet a guest in person. And so we met at the Higgins Grocery Food, uh, like the courtyard where you can set up and eat your lunch in Marysville, uh, Washington. And once I hunted hunted down a cup of coffee for her, we discussed what it was like to grow up in rural Arlington, Washington, which is which I share that uh, that experience, though a bit later than she did, and so much different experience. Uh, the change in the community as the economy shifted throughout the decades um, that she experienced, and the work she did for local government and you know her family. So it was an honor to spend time with Marion, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. You will notice that my voice is a little bit softer than hers. My mask is still on in our conversation, so there is that. I try to make it as equal as possible. There's also some background noise in this episode because of our location. So thank you for being with us, and thank you for taking notice. And here is Marion Harrison. Thanks for joining me here, Marion. So maybe, uh, can you share where you grew up and who you were surrounded by? I was born in Providence Hospital in Everett, Washington. And my mom moved to Arlington, seven miles out on the Jordan Road, when I was 18 months old. And we had a 62-acre farm there. And I stayed there until I was eight, and then we moved down toward Marysville, and, and well, south of Arlington first, and then to Marysville. But I always called Arlington home, really, because that is where we had more friends. We went to church there. I made my first communion there in the old church that I still go to today. Of course, it's the new church now. But um, uh, we were farmers, and we had a big orchard. And so I've always lived in the country except for six years of my life, and uh, I would say that my mother came from normal Illinois. My father came, was born in Abbeville County, South Carolina, and they met in Chicago when he was in the service for the First World War, because his family was here in Everett, Washington, and they had come. Uh, we don't know how they got here, but his grandmother 
born in slavery in 1849 in South Carolina, owned a store in her own business in Everett, Washington before 1900. Wow. And so that's the beginning of my beginning. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so you, I grew up in Arlington as well, so I, I, I am familiar with calling it home, even though I've lived in other places for sure. It's, it feels like home. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. you grew up with all those people who were Scandinavian, and, and uh, I didn't know many tribal people when I was growing up, but where I live now, I live on tribal land for the Tulalips, and one of my very best friends was Senator John McCoy. And he and I started our political history way back in, in the 10th district, got redistricted into the 38th district, so I had become the chair of the 10th and the chair of the 38th. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. But back to being in Arlington. Mm -hmm. um, when I came back to live in Arlington in 1954, there were people there that had known me as a child. And, and when my oldest son graduated from high school, he went to Skagit Valley College. I went to ECC and, and uh, took a teacher's aid course and became a, a teacher's aide in the Arlington School District. And then I transferred into the custodial and I worked there for 22 years altogether. Okay. And I retired in 1991. Oh, nice, okay. Yeah. So, but I'm a graduate of Marysville High School. Oh, okay. And I graduated in 1949. Oh, wow. And so that's been a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a graduate of Lakewood High School, so oh, okay. rivals, kind of. But they weren't ever in the same, <laughs> yeah. in the same room. Though. So, yeah. Um, nice. Did you have siblings growing up? I had uh, two brothers, oldest one one older and one younger. My oldest brother graduated in, in 1947 from Marysville High School. And my youngest brother graduated from O'Day High School in Seattle, because mother had moved into, gave up the farm and moved into Seattle. Oh, okay. And went to technical school and learned to be a practical nurse and, and worked at Veterans Hospital. And oh, so okay. my youngest brother graduated from old day. Oh, okay. After I, I uh, left high school, I got married. My husband went overseas to uh, fight in the Korean War and he'd been missing in action for 71 years. Oh, really? Hmm. Yes. How long were you married before you went to the Just, war? Just a little while, a very oh. short time. Sorry to hear that. And, yeah. and uh, he went overseas in July and was missing in in June, no, in, in December. And they said he was a prisoner of war and died in in March of 19 of nine. Yes, see, it was March in 1951. Mm. And then they said because there were no remains found, that they put him on the missing missing in action roles, and that's where he's remained ever wow. since then. Mm. But but I remarried, and there were seven kids all together in my family. Oh, okay. Five yeah. girls and two boys. Nice, yeah. Yeah, so. How did you meet your two husbands? How did you meet your first husband? Oh, heavens. <laughs> I was, at the time, I was going to University of Washington, okay. and I had friends that lived in the, in um, the Madison area of uh, Seattle, and this is on the East Madison side. And so they were good friends of ours even before we, I went to Seattle. And so um, we were all out together. Oh, there was a place where the kids all hung out. And so that's where I met him at, at the drugstore where everybody went to have a Coke or whatever after school. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. And he was from Marysville, Ohio, and I was from Marysville, oh. Washington. <laughs> That's a good one. That kind of sucks, nice. so, yeah. Did he come out here to go to college, or? No, he was in the service out here, stationed oh. at Fort Lewis. Okay, nice. And how'd you meet your second husband? 
Oh, heavens, I had known this man ever since I was, like, 14. Oh, okay. Well, that's you nice. You know, so. Wow. And he was much older than I was, but he was a good person <laughs> until you got married to him. <laughs> well, it can go that way sometimes, can't it? <laughs> but he, he was the founder of the only black labor union in the state of Washington. Oh, wow. And they were the ship scalers. Mm -hmm. They worked in the ships on Harbor Island and over on Bainbridge Island and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I had enough of Seattle, so I bought some property north of Arlington and moved back. Mm -hmm. Got back into the Arlington community. And I stayed there till all my kids were grown up, out of school, and then uh, the house was old, and so we sold the property, and, and uh, I bought a mobile home. Couldn't find any place to put it around Arlington, so I had to put it on the fire trail where I live today. Oh, okay, you're up on fire trail? Okay. Yeah. Nice. I used to live up that way as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful countryside mm-hmm. if they'd stop building us out of house and home up there. Agreed. Goodness. I know. Yeah, every time I go up there, it's new stuff, new and more stuff, houses new stuff. and yeah. more tree farms gone and mm-hmm. all of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's changing a lot. And so that's that's where I am today, but, but uh, I have belonged. One of the things I really miss is that I had belonged to the Health and Safety Network under the Family Policy Council of Olympia, and we work with at-risk kids. And we worked with at-risk kids for 20 years in in Snohomish County. And then they defunded us, we wrote for a grant to keep going, and our grant went to the Bellingham chapter when we had to disband because we had no money. Oh, wow. But but, uh, we had people in the community looking after their own interests and we had um, kids that were taking care of their own things like gang violence and all that kind of thing we had a program called kids futures and the kids got to tell the adults what they saw was wrong with their society mm. and even gary Locke came to moderate that for us oh, when wow. he was good when he was governor yeah. And it was a great program because people really got to know if kids were interested in the community, what was happening with their parents, and it, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And so when they let go of that, they let go of one of the, I would say, the most stable thing we had for kids to belong to. Mm. You know, so. Yeah. Um, About when was that? I, yeah, they disbanded it. Yet I can't. It must be about ten years ago now. Okay. But but. Uh, yeah. What was your role in that organization? Well, the thing was that that every every um, person that belonged to the network helped work on something, mm-hmm. and so my our unit had funded the Matthew House in in uh, Monroe that takes care of kids of prisoners. When a woman was trying to do it by herself, we funded the daycare center in Granite Falls. We uh, helped start Cocoon House and, and paid for the very first prom uh, dates that the kids that lived there had. Oh, okay. And, and things like that. Wow. And, and um, they started a program in Monroe for the kids to look after themselves and one of the young ladies offspring for that she started a a program for for uh, unmarried teen mothers and Mm -hmm. that all sprung from this network and it was a conglomerate so every county had a network or maybe two sometimes and um, they all worked together and we'd have these seasonal um, stately meetings where everybody came together and we talked about what we'd done and and uh, what we accomplished and there's places like Broadway area of Bellingham that was full of derelict houses old cars run down fences lawns not mowed they went into that neighborhood and say look around your neighborhood could you be proud of this neighborhood the way it looks they got the people 
to clean up the neighborhood, haul out the old cars, uh, paint up the fences, and work together to have a decent living environment. And that's what the network was all about. Wow, yeah. A lot of different projects yeah. and kind of covering all this yeah. whole area. Yeah. yeah. But wow. we didn't have any chapters in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. But but I don't know why they thought they didn't need to belong, but they never did join us. Hmm. You know. Yeah. But um, that was one of the things I was proud to have worked on. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing. And I felt like when they disbanded us that I just lost my family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you get to know so many people across the you know, all across the state, not just in our own chapter. Mhm. You know. Yeah. How long did you work with that organization? Well, that was about 20 years I worked oh, with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, a long time. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I worked on that I felt very uh, close to was the Foster Care Review Board. And that was citizens looking out for placements of homes for out-of-home children, mm -hmm. people that were in the welfare system. and helping to get their parents into services and get families back together so kids didn't go from, from uh, foster parent to foster parent for years. Get them in and get them out. And, and uh, so I worked with that until another time. They defunded things until we had to go. Mm. Wow. I mean, we always kind of felt like if it works in, in the state, they defund it. Yeah, you know, right. You know. <laughs> like, this every, is going too well. Let's you know, things were going too well. <laughs> oh, man. You didn't have it anymore. Uh, yeah, that's that does seem to be how that, it that, goes. That's really that. disheartening. It is, yeah. And I also had worked with Evergreen Manor, and that was for pregnant and parenting women and, and uh, people who are drugs and alcohol addicted and that kind of thing. So I sat on the board of that, and I was asked to do that by one of the ladies who had sat on the foster care review board. So I did that for a while. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. I've done a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a wonderful range of opportunities that you, you, able, you were able to dig into and, and do. And you, had, you said you had seven children altogether. Mm -hmm. Do they still live in the area? I have one that lives with me, mm -hmm. and I have two of them that live down in Yelm, and I have a son in Everett somewhere, and and uh, my son Thomas lives in Kent, and, and I have a daughter who lives on Fur Island up by Conway. Oh yeah. And and uh, yeah, she's been there for 40 years. Oh. Wow. She worked at Safeway in Arlington for 40 years. Oh okay, nice. <laughs> yeah, she's got these old kids. Oh, <laughs> everybody just keeps getting older. <laughs> I know when you got kids, yeah, no. grandsons in the forties—that's something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, that's nice that they're all still kind of nearby, well, and close to you. Yeah, yeah, we we see them. Used to see them more often than than we do now. Mm -hmm. But uh, my daughter that lives in Kent, she used to live in in uh, Lacey. And, and uh, her husband was, did chemotherapy for uh, the patients at Madigan General Hospital on the base. And, and her son was in the service, and so he got stationed right there at the base so he could come home <laughs> back and forth. But he got stationed down in Texas, and so he's still there. Oh, I see. And even he's been there long enough, in the service long enough, that he only has three years to go before he can retire. Well, that'll be nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was hurt in a very bad car accident, so I never hold my head up oh, straight. And oh. I have a very bad back oh, because okay. of that. So. Uh, yeah. I think I, um, someone, sh I, it must have been my dad, shared the article, some article that explained that you were in a car accident. Yeah. It says... I, paper had said something like unique accident or something mm -hmm. in the headlines and uh, a man named Les Abenhouse and I had been to a Democratic State Convention, I think it was over in Richland we were mm -hmm. and I had ridden over with another lady but she was going on to Priest 
uh, Rapids, Idaho, where she had some summer property. And so I was going to come home with, with Mr. Abenhouse because he lived up on Arlington Heights. And so we could come home together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we stopped in Yakima and had dinner and got in the car. And he told his wife that we'll be home soon. And, and uh, we got to North Bend and his car window windshield was full of bugs. Mm. <laughs> and he'd run out of windshield washer. So we went to go to the gas station, you know, the big gas station over there and truck stop. Mm-hmm. And so we were going there and he got into the wrong exit where the search and rescue is. And oh. it doubles right back around by the highway. Oh, right. And yeah. so we ran off the road. Oh. And, the, and the car landed in the creek down below. Oh, wow. And thank God, somebody had an accident up on Mount Si. They had two ambulances standing by, and they saw the accident happen. 45 seconds later, they were at the door. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because boy, when we were going over that, over that down, I said, Jesus, help us. Because oh, I knew goodness. that we yeah. were in for it. Wow. And, and so, that's fairly remote right there so yeah. if there hadn't have been another yeah. Yeah. wow that's that's remarkable was uh so then you injured your back and your oh god i had everything. so many broken bones bro broken ribs collarbone ankle uh, punctured lungs oh. gash in my head wow. wow and it jammed my spine oh. i used to be five foot seven inches tall oh really wow <laughs> Yeah, that did a lot. But no, not anymore. Yeah, yeah. And was uh, the driver, your friend, okay as well? Well, he was. He hurt. I think it was his his hip or something. But he wasn't really hurt. Oh, and wow. I, all I can remember is Les running around the car, said, crying. He said, "I've hurt my friend. I've hurt my friend." Oh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Oh. But uh, that poor that I felt sorry for him because he'd always felt that it, he was the cause of mm. everything you know mm. and he thought maybe he had fallen asleep or something and and I don't think he did but um, when I woke up in the hospital I looked around and here's my kids all standing around mm. and they peering into me and I said what is it and they said but mother, you didn't know how bad you looked. You had raccoon eyes, mm, you know, oh, because wow. of the blood circulating. Uh-huh. And, and they were just peering at me. <laughs> I looked up again and Father Rick is standing beside the bed. Oh, wow. And Keel, and, uh, our, our um, deacon, she's standing there with him, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I survived it yeah. and I'm here. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> How long ago was that? And that happened in, what was that, 1993, something oh, like okay. that. Yeah, because I was working, I had worked one session at the legislature, and I was going to go back, but then I couldn't because of the accident. It was the same year that they had the big uh, earthquake in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. In the same okay. year, because I had a daughter that was there at the time, oh. and... and uh, she said that in her apartment, everything was blowing up. Dishes were flying off, off out of the, the cupboards. She's hiding under the kitchen table. And then the toilet is blowing up. <laughs> and, and when everything is over, she realized all the gas mains for her apartment house, the, the controls were on the outside wall of her, house, of her apartment. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> and she worked at, at the big hospital downtown in, in Los Angeles. Oh. And next day she shows up at work. And somebody says, well, how did you even get here? Because when they could drive straight down, they went down the Santa Monica uh, freeway, and that's the one that was all blown up and mm-hmm. fell in and all that. And she said, I just went over until I could find a f- through street to come downtown, and I'm here. Wow. Wow. And she said, when you live in the country like we used to, she said, 
you have escape routes. <laughs> you know where to go when, when things happen. Yeah. It's you good know. training living in the yeah. country. <laughs> That's for sure. But yeah. Wow. You have mentioned a couple of times working in politics a little bit. Can you yeah. describe a little bit of what, what you did? In 1984, I think it was, I went to my first caucus meeting. I was the only one from my precinct there, so I got to be the delegate. And so from there, I went to the legislative caucus. And then we went on to the county. And I ended up in, where was it? In eastern Washington, anyhow, I think it was Pasco at state convention. And uh, somehow, um, I went to my first political meeting at Mary Margaret Haugen's house and she was the, was the representative at the time mm -hmm. and so I got talking with one of the people there that was had run for office and I talked told him that was I was interested in education and some of the things that I was really interested in because having seven kids you have to be interested in education mm -hmm. you know and they work at it and so he looks over at Mary Margaret and he said, Mary Margaret, we have a chair here. <laughs> so somehow I got to be chair of the 10th legislative district. Oh, there you go. And I was chair of that for three terms. And, and uh, then I got in two, it was uh, 2000, we got redistricted out of the 10th district into the 38th. And the first thing I know, I go to a meeting and, and there's a lady she says, they're going to elect the new chair. And she says, I know somebody here that knows how to chair a meeting. <laughs> Put my, my name up to be uh, uh, voted on. And so I got to be the chair of the 38th district. Wow. And yeah. so then I learned later that they said, did you know that you have been the only person ever to be chair of two legislative districts? Oh. Uh, of course, I didn't know that. I still don't know if that was true or not. <laughs> But I was chair of, chair of the 38th. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, I had been, uh, of course, I was the chair, so you had to go to the county meetings also. So we did all the caucus stuff and all that kind of thing. And so um, I worked on Mary Margaret's campaign, and they were going to um, take the Skagit Valley and divide it up into five-acre plots. Oh, and it's one of the only valleys of its kind in this state. And so the, the bumper sticker said, cement is forever. And, and we fought to keep it as it is, because it's an agricultural valley. Mm -hmm. And we needed that, the agriculture, and we also needed the jobs it created. And so um, we all went to work to save the valley. And then Mary Margaret, next term, she had run for Senate. And so I worked on her Senate campaign. So Mary Margaret and I worked a whole lot together and doing mailings and, and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every doorbell, Oak Harbor, apartment houses everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I used to get out of church on and, and drive every Sunday over to Oak Harbor to go doorbelling it someplace over there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of miss, miss those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you, you were able to accomplish a lot. Yeah. yeah. And Skagit Valley is still beautiful and not five-acre plots, yeah. so that's, no. thanks for doing that. And they even have an ordinance up there that you can't even have a mother-in-law apartment on your on oh, your place, and it, it's, it's something very special, I guess. Oh, yeah, right. Because oh, uh, my daughter was looking at, she and her husband buying a property up there, and uh, they wanted me to put the mobile home there, hmm. but they wouldn't allow oh, it. Oh, interesting. Would not allow that. Huh. Wow. Even though there was room for it, they didn't allow it. That's, yeah. yeah, that's interesting, because it seems like everywhere else now is just like... People are on Literally, top of people, yeah, and people exactly. build double built on on a single lot. Exactly, all that kind yeah, of thing. But yeah. no, they they don't allow that. 
and I still miss all the old barns and everything that they've taken down mm -hmm. because it was so picturesque, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not it's there anymore. Yeah. yeah. But my daughter still lives up there, and her husband's family were, uh, I guess, pioneers up there, oh, and, okay. and, and uh, her husband's father uh, was principal, I think it was, of the LeConnor Middle School. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. And they're the Torseth family. Oh, okay. And so they have three boys, three grown men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and one grandson. Ah, oh, nice. So, you know, people look at our family. <laughs> one friend says, your family is a colorful quilt. Mm. <laughs> and I have to say so because uh, the one who lives on Fur Island's husband, I just talked about is pure Norwegian on both sides of his family. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when she went to Skagen Valley College out of high school, she comes and she says, Mother, who is this? What does this little guy want that comes and sits down beside me every day? <laughs> well. <laughs> I don't know. Somehow they've been married for over 40 years. <laughs> oh, that's sweet, though. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's... Yeah, the uh, things you don't know when you're that age. Like, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. That's a, yeah, meeting somebody in college and having it last that long. Yeah. That's kind of beautiful. Yeah. My son Thomas and his wife have been married for 39 years. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And they have two grown sons. Mm-hmm. A lot uh, of grandkids and great grandkids. No, they or? don't have any grandkids. Oh, no. <laughs> and I don't think they'll ever have any. No, yeah. No. Not in the cards there. No. Well, we had been talking about discussing how your family came to the Northwest, which you mentioned a little bit about at the beginning, but was there anything else you wanted to share about that? As I said, I do not know how my grandmother Donaldson got to the Northwest. Mm -hmm. We suppose that she came by a wagon train when the Mormon people brought a lot of the slaves out of the South. Mm. But uh, she herself came with her, she was a widow when she came here. And she had a son who was my grandfather and my father who had been born back in South Carolina. And they lived in, can you believe this, they lived in Everett on Harrison Street. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, my oh. Grand, but my grandmother owned a store um, on, um, Everett Avenue, way down by where the Rubatino, um, um, what do you call it, the waste management plant is. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, there used to be a drawbridge over Snohomish River down in that area, and a lot of people don't even realize that, but that's where she had the store and had the apartment over the store because she sold goods to the, to the loggers and the people who worked in the woods and down on, I guess they did, brought the logs down the river or oh, whatever. So right. there was a lot of uh, foot traffic, I guess. So, mm -hmm. so that's where her store was. But when she first came here, she did not read and write. Oh. And so she went to North Junior High School in the evening classes and learned to read and write and, and do all that. And then she married again, and his name was Robert Donaldson, D-O-N-A-L without the D-S-O-N. Oh. And he is one of the first. He, um, she somehow she married him, and she was a widow again by 1901. Oh. And and he is buried one of the first first graves inside of the Evergreen Cemetery in in uh, the pergola. Right oh, okay. as you go in, uh -huh. and so he had been a, born in Abbeville, South Carolina, also. So that's how they got here. But I don't think my great grandmother did not die here in Washington. I think she went back to Michigan, where her oldest son was with with uh, a lot of the family worked at the Ford plant. And so, I, so I think she went back to Michigan, mm -hmm. and and uh, we lost track of her then. So uh, we're still trying to find out, you know, when she died and that kind of thing. We haven't found that, but anyhow, her son George, her grandson George, met my mom in Chicago, 
and I get, I don't really know how she met him, but it was through a sister, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and um, so she, he was in the service, and they were supposed to have gotten married in Chicago, and so she came here. Well, he was off to the war, and she came here where his family was. And so they lived on State Street in Everett. And then when I guess she got out of the service, that's when they moved to the farm, because she said somehow they either swapped the property for the farm or they rented the farm. I don't know exactly how that was. But that's when they moved to the farm. But my mom had come from a big family of, of uh, there was seven sisters. All together, there were something like 12 kids in the family. Wow. And there were all these sisters, seven sisters and, and two brothers that they raised. And my family were a lot of Cherokee in that family. And, and um, her grandfather was, um, well, he married a Cherokee woman and he was Cherokee. And so let's be, have been looking up their, their um, history, trying to find out who they were, how they were, where they came from. And we go way back to, to um, 1805 when somebody was, was um, they say, manumitted, which was freed from slavery. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, we can trace down there that he was born in 1771 and the family that owned him and all of that. But my mom's family, they grew up in Normal, Illinois. And that's where University of State, Illinois State University is today. And my great grandfather helped to uh, landscape the town with the person who founded that and his name was Jesse Phil. He also founded the university, and my mom was a university graduate, oh, wow. and a lot of her family were. Mm-hmm. And, and my great-grandfather had, oh, yeah, there was six, seven of them, and they all had these, these great names like Osceola and Sherman and <laughs> those things, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and they were very light-skinned people, and in the, in the, the census it says they were mulatto. And, and they were part Irish. And my mother, if you can believe it, stood five foot 10 with red hair and hazel eyes oh. and, and uh, weighed about 200 pounds. Mm. Yeah. Tall woman. Yeah. <laughs> and so I never met a lot of my aunts, but I met my, my uncle Wilbur. And he, another one about six foot two and had played uh, Negro League Baseball, captain of his basketball team in college, and, and he ran track and did all kinds of things. And wow. if you think there was anybody else in the family, you wouldn't know it. It's all Wilbur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was the star. <laughs> oh, he was the star of everything, I guess. That's funny. <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, it, it was a big family. And, of course, Mom missed them all when they were out here. And I don't think she ever got to go back there, but once well, after we were grown up. So, mm. uh, yeah, because it was depression time when she was when I was born. That's right. Yeah, a little harder to travel yeah. than it is and, now. And yeah. every all the neighbors and everybody had to work together to survive. Yeah. yeah. And and there was no prejudice. Mm. You know, we just if you needed, you had it. Mm. And I don't remember anybody sleeping in somebody's town on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, some of them built the house in a stump, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they lived there, right. really, in the stump. Yeah. And there's pictures of it in, in around Arlington. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, just helping each other out. Yeah, yeah. they did that. People, people would come by the house and say, uh, ask for something to eat and say, I will cut wood for you for, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they'd chop enough wood for a couple of days and mother would feed them. People would feed, uh, let people sleep in their barns and all of that kind of thing. You just didn't see people like you see today saying they have nothing when these people actually had nothing. Mm-hmm. And there was no welfare. 
there wasn't anything for them except what God and the good graces of other people could give them, you know? So that yeah. growing up was not a hard thing for me, but my, some of my kids had a harder time growing up because when the boy left in the 70s and it went down and a lot of people from other parts of the country came here, it changed the whole complexion of Arlington. Mm. Yeah. And they even had a cross burning there. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, not in the 70s. That was later, though. Okay. Yeah. Wow. But but we didn't experience that when I was a kid growing up. Oh, okay. So things kind of shifted as the economy shifted in the area? Yeah. 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 But Arlington itself has a lot of history. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I really don't know too much about our history in... in uh, Everett because I was too little when we left. Mm -hmm. And so somebody said, asked not long ago, something about how long you lived in Everett. I said, uh, 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> Short trip. <laughs> I'm not an Everett person. Yeah, yeah. You know, it sounds like Arlington the whole way, yeah. And, and Marysville was a good place to live in, in ways, but all I remember about Arlington is my mother had, we lived on tribal land. It was 80 acres. We milked cows. We had pigs. Mother always had this huge garden. She had 1,000 laying hens, oh, 500 yeah. of brooder broiler market chickens. And we had to gather those eggs, and we had to clean those eggs and get them ready for market. And after all these chickens that we had, I don't like chicken too much today. <laughs> I don't blame you. That is a lot of chickens. Chickens, oh chickens, chickens. Oh my goodness, wow. Yeah. And I had to get up and feed and water 500 chickens every morning before I caught the school bus to go to school. Wow, wow. Man, 80 acres and all that, wow. So. See how I feel about chickens and yeah. farm. <laughs> when I lived at Bryant, though, with the kids, we had a few chickens. We had our own eggs, but yeah. we didn't sell any eggs. You know, mm -hmm. my husband gave more of them away, I guess, than anything. Sure. But but uh, they weren't commercial chickens. They were just our chickens. Yeah, yeah. It's a little different. <laughs> wow. Who was somebody that was influential in your life? either in your career or in your childhood or education, somebody that influenced you strongly? I would have to say my mother, because my mother was a strong person. And, and she was an educated person. And she always said that if you have your education, they can't take it from you. And so another thing she told us all, you fight for each other, you don't fight each other. Mm. And we were never allowed to, you know, you hear about teenagers fighting and all that. She never allowed it, you know, and, and uh, we always fought for each other. Something was up, we all were in it together, you know. And so I think she was the strongest influence I ever had. Well, yeah. Of course, there were your teachers you had at school and some of them, one teacher that I loved, I went for three years to Catholic school, and we had a Sister Benvenuta. Sister Benvenuta was like a drill sergeant. <laughs> and she taught the eighth grade, and you loved her because nobody could get by her, around her, or pull the wool over her eyes. <laughs> and she was just stalwart. Mm. But she opened your head and put the learning in it. You know? Yeah. And so that's one person, all, all of us, even the ones that got punished by her, loved her. <laughs> and Father Callahan used to tease her and said, you know, you're just like my sister. Aw. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, she was fabulous. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing and, and meeting with me today and sharing all your stories and taking the time to do well, this. I hope I you find it. something in there that's usable. Oh, all of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. And it's wonderful to meet you and meet you well, in person. It's good to meet you. Yeah. I just love your dad. Oh, uh, yeah.
<laughs> and he's trying to be so brave about his knee. You oh know? my goodness! And, yeah. and uh, he's uh, he's walking seven miles already. And yeah, biking. It's only been like seven weeks. He just doesn't need to <laughs> overdo it, though. Yeah, it's hard to tell. He won't listen. <laughs> he won't listen to that. That's for sure. He's funny. He'll hear this if I keep it in and just laugh. And we appreciated him inviting us to his home for our Bible study. Yeah. And then the last Bible study, <laughs> nobody shows up except there was three of us. And then oh, that's four, right. Poor yeah. Christy comes dragging in. And she said, I almost forgot. <laughs> Summertime can be hard to keep track of things, that's for sure. Well, there's several meetings I'm supposed to be at have been canceled because uh, people are on vacation and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. But, well, thank you very much, Marion. Well, you're welcome. Thank you for joining us for Take Notice Amplifying Black Stories. Please subscribe and follow us on social media. We are at Take Notice Podcast. It would really help us out if you could take a couple of minutes to review our podcast. You can do so through your podcast app or by visiting our website. It's takenoticepodcast.org. Thank you for your support. Take Notice Amplifying Black Stories is produced, hosted, and edited by Allison Preissinger Higgins with help from many. Music by Version Big Five featuring Darius Higgins. Thank you for being with us and thank you for taking notice. Be them saying that.